Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru, and you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. And so then after he had said that, he said, congratulations, you're going to be an Olympian. And I just started bawling. Oh. I was so emotional. Hey, everybody, and welcome to RealPod. I'm Victoria Garrick, former D1 athlete and mental health and body image advocate. Every Wednesday, I'll be bringing you awesome guests, weekly inspiration, and the realest conversations around everything and anything. Now let's get real. Welcome back to Real Pod. I hope you're having a fantastic morning. I'm sure all my volleyballers out there are so freaking excited because today we are being graced by the one and only Justine Wong Orantes, Olympic gold medalist, libero for the USA women's volleyball team that just dominated in Tokyo. Now, being a volleyballer and a libero myself, I am a huge fan of Justine's And I was literally dying to sit down with her and just ask her, I mean, every single question in the book, we are going to talk about her story, how she got into volleyball, became a libero, her success playing at Nebraska. She was the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year two times in a row. She's a two-time AVCA All-American. She was all Big Ten. She was on the NCAA Championship All-Tournament team. She was the Nebraska Female Athlete of the Year. I mean... Justine is an outstanding volleyball player. However, her journey with the national team has had a lot of ups and downs, a lot of uncertainty. And I think her story and her side of things is something a lot of us have been dying to hear. I'm so grateful Justine took the time with all the gold medal hype going on to sit down with us and share her story. Before we dive into the episode, I want to give a shout out to Meg, who left a five-star review and said, 
This is the first podcast I ever listened to, and I'm so glad I did. I listened to it on my long runs, and it's been a great way to carve out reflective self-care during the week. As a former D1 athlete transitioning to the adult world, this podcast is so relatable and helpful. I recommend it to all my friends, athletes or not, as there is something for everyone here. Thank you for brightening each of my Wednesdays with your new content. Yay, Meg. It literally makes, I say this every time, but it literally makes my day to read this and to hear this. I'm so glad you're enjoying Real Pod. I bet you're on your run right now, girl. Keep it up. And thanks for sharing Real Pod near and far. That means so much to me. If you guys are enjoying the show, make sure you head over to iTunes and give a rating and a review. It really helps out the podcast. And it's a great way for me to receive your feedback and hear from you guys. Not to mention, you just might be the shout out on next week's episode. So Meg, thanks for this review and I hope you're enjoying your run today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you stream so that you get that automatic download every single Wednesday. Not to mention, if you're a volleyball fan who's tuning in for the first time to hear from Justine, I have tons of interviews with incredible volleyball players like Carrie Walsh Jennings, April Ross, Dustin Watton, Reed Pretty, Sarah Hughes, Kelsey Robinson. They're all amazing. You got to check those out after this. So thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Real Pod, and let's get to it with the one and only Justine Wong Arantes. Justine, thank you so much. I am so excited. I was just telling you, I'm like, I am, I would say I'm a fangirl. I mean, fellow libero, played in college, volleyballer, just huge fan of you and watching you play. And it's funny because I don't think I've had an interview recently where in prepping for it, I had like so many questions. I was like, okay, I got to narrow this down. (laughs) (laughs) First and foremost, thank you for having me. And it's so funny that like a couple of years ago, we actually we kind of met, but we never really got to like have a conversation because I felt like it was just like you kind of got thrown into practice right. and then we're like, oh, okay. And then we never, I I feel like we never actually got to talk. So right. thank you for having me. And now it's a great time to actually get to know each other a little bit. Of course. Yeah, that was so funny. I remember that vividly. Yeah. I just, so to people listening to give context, Jeff, who does stats for the national team, did stats for SC. And he was just like, we need bodies one day. And I'm like, oh, I'm down to play. And so, of course, yeah. when I get there, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm like playing with these girls. But I also don't want to like <laughs> distract from what you guys are doing. So I don't want to come up and be like, hi, it's nice to meet you. Like, so I just right. like kept quiet and I did what I was told to do. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it was great. I mean, literally anytime we can have people come in, it's it's great. I love to hear that. Well, hey, Karch, if you're listening, I'm always around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm so excited. I don't even know where to start. Well, that's a lie. I thought long and hard about where to start because it's I'm tempted to jump in and be like, gold medal, where are you at right now? You know, yada, yada, yada. But I'm like, we got to go back. We got to get the full Justine story. Like, I want to know about your college playing days. I want to travel into, you know, where you are now. So if that's cool with you, I kind of just want to kick things off by talking about, you know, your freshman year at Nebraska and just hearing what that was like. You know, you were a true freshman starter playing on one of the best teams in the country. I would just love to know when you think back on your college playing days, you know, what comes to mind? Yeah, so I was so scared going into college, especially at Nebraska. 
I don't know if many people know, but prior to playing libero, I was actually a setter for basically up until college. So when I made the switch was right before my senior year of high school um, to transition into the libero position. So I was a setter like through and through the club volleyball days. And so and that's like what I loved. Like that was my passion. I actually, I mean, till this day, I still miss setting. <laughs> but that, yeah, so my junior year of club, I, um, yeah, I just remember it like it was yesterday, but I was playing for Mizuno Long Beach. And for some reason, uh, JP Calderon was my uh, club coach at the time. And we were just having trouble passing. And so I don't know what made him think like there were so many different options like outside hitters that could potentially go into the libero spot. But maybe I don't know what had gotten to his ear, but he told me, hey, do you have your second jersey? Like we want to put you in the libero position. And I was like, first of all, I was like crapping my pants because I forgot (laughs) my jersey. You know, in club, the club days, you're supposed to bring like three different jerseys just in case. And I am like usually pretty responsible and I forgot that second jersey. So we actually had to borrow it from like a a younger team. And so I borrowed it, ended up playing and then it was junior national. So, you know, typically you see all those college coaches roaming around the courts. And so our team was a pretty top team in that division, uh, my 17s year. And so we had some college coaches on our court and then I don't know. Like, it was just like, seriously, when I tell this story, I feel like it's like made up because it's such a fairy tale, but it's like such a blessing um, in disguise because Nebraska was on my, on our court. And that year, so my, our, you know, our class 2013, our recruiting class year, they had just, uh, Lara Dextra had just announced that she wanted to return back to California to pursue beach volleyball. So they had an opening and a scholarship. And so they had talked to me and then junior year, I think you're allowed to um, talk to them, like the college coaches face to face. And so we, I had talked to Dan Meske at the time. <laughs> I was just like, that was my first time really interacting with the college coach. And so we set up a, an official visit because that was going into my senior year. So that was an official visit. And I mean, the minute I got on campus and the facilities were amazing. And so I fell in love. And then it was probably the shortest recruiting process ever. It was like about two weeks because I committed like two weeks later. I verbally committed. And then um, in November, I signed my letter of intent. Dang. Oh, my God. Okay. I didn't even know any of this. And I have so many questions. This is going to be like the longest episode of Real Pod. But I'm like such a volleyball junkie. Like I, okay, a million things. First of all. Um, so serve, receive, hello. You just like started passing and like you could serve, receive like that always was my mind with no reps. Like you just, what what was that like? Yeah. So that was like the scariest thing probably going into college. Cause I'm like, I have barely any serve, receive reps. The only thing I could really lean on is I have a huge background in beach volleyball. I probably started that even before I got into club volleyball. And so Sarah Hughes, who is also a Trojan alumni, we were beach partners back in the day up until we went to college. So we probably had like 10 years of experience playing together. And so we were like literally volleyball gym rats, whether it was indoor volleyball, beach volleyball, whatever it was, you could find us both there. And so I think like credit to beach volleyball because 
I don't think without that kind of experience and those repetitions that I got on the beach, I wouldn't have been able to, you know, have that mental ability to like prepare myself going into Nebraska because without that, I would have had maybe one year of actual libero playing time. So yeah, really credit to beach volleyball. Interesting. Yeah, that 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 checks out for sure. And Sarah's phenomenal beach volleyball player. So if you were playing with her up until she went to SC where she would win like every national championship, you had to be pretty good at beach. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So then with recruiting, obviously, as a setter, you are shorter. Were you Mm -hmm. not concerned about like, I mean, when you want to set it, if you're thinking of playing at the division one level and you're a setter, it had to cross your mind. I'm undersized. Yeah. I'm going to be running like a six, two. So right. did you think of the strategy of what doors would open if you were a libero instead? Cause that's how I switched to libero. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were local schools in California that were recruiting me as a, as a setter, whether it be like a six, two rotational player, or maybe it was just a defensive specialist. I had those kind of, pop up into the recruiting process. Um, I was actually highly, highly attracted to Hawaii. And that was like initially where I wanted to go. A couple of my friends had played there and I was, of course, in awe of the state of Hawaii. And so I was pretty much going to go there. And then Nebraska came into the picture and kind of opened my eyes and doors and just like, okay, well, if they see me as a potential, you know, a defensive specialist or libero at their program, then, okay, maybe I can actually do this. And that's when I really, really committed myself to the libero position. And just, I mean, there were so many reps that I did that I probably could have gotten more, or there was just so many things that I wish I could have, you know, done earlier. But, you know, just going into my freshman year, I just had to really lean on what I had done previously. And and then, of course, with the Nebraska coaches and what I was going to learn from them was going to be also really, really good and uh, spectacular. So it sounds like that first year or your first years as a libero, it is this new experience and you have all this ball control. You see the game really well and it's coming naturally to you. Now, I'm curious if you had an experience of like a moment where suddenly it went from, oh yeah, I'm just passing the ball to my setter to Mm -hmm. where am I holding my angle? How am I moving my feet? You know, it gets very mental. Oh my gosh. I remember one match we played against Wisconsin and I feel like, you know, typically teams, since you're wearing a libero jersey, they're not going to serve you, right? You're supposed to be this amazing pass or whatever. And so typically a lot of teams didn't serve me unless, unless, you know, maybe they were targeting like a certain area of the court. But I remember Wisconsin, they were like serving me every single serve. And I was like, oh, dang, like I haven't seen this in a while. Yeah, like you said, it becomes sort of like this mental game that you have to battle with uh, just within yourself. And I was struggling. Like I remember they hid me in the serve receive pattern and I was like, whoa, this is like not what I want it to be, you know? And I just felt like, I think over the years, I've kind of fought with this like internal battle of like, how can I contribute to the team? Because, you know, if you're not getting served a lot or they're not hitting to you, like you're not really contributing as the libero as the other positions may. And like the liberos don't, we don't score points. That's just the fact of the of volleyball. And so 
it's just finding ways over the years how to, you know, contribute. Maybe it's like leading or with my voice, directing traffic, whatever. And I think that I've gotten more comfortable in that in that sense. But just in that Wisconsin match, I had to fight, fight, fight to really get out of my own head. And I think the minute that I try, I started to stop like overcompensating for all of these bad plays that I was making and just focus on how can I, you know, make my teammates better and just like redirect that focus outward. I think that helped me. And I think that definitely helps me even to this day. It's just like, if I'm doing something that is out of my element, then how can I like help, you know, someone around me, or maybe it's focusing on a different task, like defense or setting, you know, whatever it is. And that's seriously like helped me tremendously. Thanks for bringing up this example, because it definitely paints a good picture of like, you're the libero and then you're hit and serve receive. And that's like what you're out there to do. So navigating that mentally after the game, like, were you thinking, oh my gosh, are they going to pull me? Are they going to put the next girl in? Did your coach say something like, no worries, like keep fighting through, we're behind you. I mean, what was that process like in the aftermath? I don't know if you're prone to like overthinking and anxiety. I certainly am. And when I think of moments like that, they can really take you down a spiral. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. And I think that's like the hardest thing is like, trying to get out of your own head because it's really you and yourself that's battling against each other and so it really helps me when and in that in that scenario against Wisconsin I had a lot of my coaches especially um the libero position coach um Danny Buzzman Kelly she was just in my ear you know just talking me through it every time every time out that definitely helped and And Kelsey was a huge help. I remember that. She was just stealing balls and um, in the seams. And I was like, totally okay with it. Because I'm just like, at that point, like, you know, there's a point where you're like, don't serve me because you're just like so scared of what's going to be the outcome. And so I think that's definitely probably one of the lowest of my career. Um, I've definitely had some on the national team as well. But I think the sooner you can go outward and just look towards your teammates, I think the faster you're going to come out of that internal battle with yourself. And I've definitely learned that over the years. I love that piece of advice. It's, and, and especially, especially as a libero, it's easy to think, am I passing perfect? Because it's very easy once again, to fall into this, like, that is my job to pass perfect. And so if you're yes. not, you're like, it, it becomes a very me, 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 I, 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 instead mm-hmm. of thinking, okay, how can I get my setter a ball? How can I cover my hitter here? How can I give, give, give? That was actually something yes. that Taylor Formico from UCLA would tell me because I looked up to her when I was playing and we were in, grew up in the same area. And she was like, I'm mm-hmm. always just talking to my teammates. The more I talk to my teammates, the less I'm in my head talking to myself. <laughs> yes, yes. No, that's great. And that's like something that I would also advise younger athletes to do is just, you know, then it becomes more like it just becomes so much more rewarding when you see like your teammates getting that big kill, that big block, and you're like celebrating those moments. And not to go too far forward, but like in Tokyo with with this current team um, that just won the gold medal, like that's what we really prided ourselves on. And just like we were celebrating each other's success more than we were celebrating ourselves. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Conair. Now look, I love getting down and dirty on the volleyball court, but I also love getting dolled up and doing my hair. And my favorite way to do my hair these days is those mermaid beachy waves. You know, those waves that look like you just took your hair out of like this most gorgeous French braid. Well, you can achieve that look by using the Conair double ceramic triple barrel waver. I have been obsessed with mine. If you follow me on IG, you've seen I've been doing the crimped wavy look a lot recently, and I have been doing it with this Conair double ceramic triple barrel waver. Now this waver, it makes it easy to get effortless, deep waves. The triple barrel ensures continuous uniform waves. So imagine like a curling barrel. It's three of those next to each other, and you just literally crimp at the top, crimp in the middle, crimp at the bottom, you're done. And it's double ceramic technology delivers even heat for fast styling and long lasting results. I love this hairstyle because if you haven't washed your hair or it's oily or you throw some dry shampoo in, these beachy waves with the Conair double ceramic triple barrel waver look like you took a long time to style your hair, but really it's so easy to do. There are 30 different heat settings for every hair type, which is important because I have thinner hair. So I need to make sure that I'm not going too hot or I'm going to like burn it off like that girl on Vine. Not to mention, they have a turbo heat feature for those difficult to style spots. And if it didn't already sound like this is the best waiver out there, just wait. The Conair Double Ceramic Triple Barrel Waiver has an automatic turnoff to ensure safety. So you never have to worry about forgetting to unplug your curling iron again. To order your Double Ceramic Triple Barrel Waiver, go to conair.com and search waiver. Once again, pull up your phone, pull up your browser, your computer, type in conair.com, C-O-N-A-I-R.com and just search waiver. You're going to look amazing with your mermaid waves. So, you know, wrapping up college, obviously your big 10 libero of the year, your junior year, your senior year. I mean, by the time you're a senior, are you feeling like super comfortable? Like I'll pass anyone, I'll dig against anyone. Like what was the mentality then as you went through the years and were coming on your senior year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. As as I got more comfortable in the libero position, um, I definitely got more confident and just kind of owned my space. And we had such a talented team um, and got, you know, so many great achievements and accomplishments. And so I definitely left Nebraska like on top of the world. And that was just like a huge credit to, you know, John Cook and his staff and all of my teammates and everyone, all the support staff, like Nebraska just did a really good job of like providing the resources, not only on the court, but off the court to make me very successful. And so was joining the national team that obvious next step for you? Had you always wanted to do that? What was the plan leaving Nebraska on this high note? Yeah, the more success that we had as a team in Nebraska, I was like, oh, wow. I think I want to keep doing this beyond college and didn't really know where to navigate in terms of professional volleyball. So um, I ended up staying my senior year, uh, the spring semester of my senior year in Nebraska and just kind of experienced life without volleyball and just being kind of a normal college person. And so that was fun. And then after in May, when we were done with everything, I had gone back out to California. I got the invite from Karch and started, I think like two weeks later when we, I drove out my car from Nebraska to California. And then about a week or two later, um, started with the national team. And then it was like, 
freshman year all over again. Yeah. Uh, just super scared, you know, uh, just a little puppy dog. And so in this big world and um, and I think that first year, so the first year, a lot of the the veterans that had gone to the Rio Olympics were taking the first part of the summer off just to give, you know, they had to go right into their club seasons. And so uh, Karch was allowing them to have some time off and kind of just regenerate and stuff. And so going into that first tournament, um, it used to be World Grand Prix, which is now the Volleyball Nations League tournament. We had a pretty young squad. It was a lot of newcomers. I think the only veterans were Carly Lloyd, Lauren Gibbemeyer, Tori Dixon, Kelly Murphy. Those were like our, you know, big veterans and leaders on the team. But for the most part, everyone were like first timers on the national team. So we were all kind of just figuring out as it went and figuring out the systems. And meanwhile, we're playing against, you know, really good teams, China, Italy, things like that. It was also, you know, the first year of the quad. So there are going to be a lot of new transitions. And so I think also just navigating through that as well. For that being the first year of the quad, did you think, oh, I want to be here in four years at the Olympics? Like, were you thinking down the line or were you just thinking, oh, this is feels good for the year I'm at and I'm just going to see how everything goes? I'm just wondering what the mental approach was with maybe goal setting. Yeah. So that first year, I was getting a lot of playing time, especially because the former libero of uh, the last quad, Kayla Banworth, had retired, moved on to the next chapter. And so that was kind of the opening of the spot. And so a lot of people were kind of vying for that spot. But ultimately, I got the starting spot for the first tournaments of the quad. And so I was like, okay, well, here to embrace this new role too and um, this position. And so it was it was good and bad. I mean, it was just, obviously, I was super happy to even be starting for the national team in my debut with the senior national team. Um, but also, it's just like so nerve-wracking because you're also playing with all of these really, you know, big-time players and professional players. And then the last tournament of the quad, like, that's when all the veterans or the Olympians came in. Uh, Jordan Larson, you know, Kelsey Robinson, Kim Hill, they all came into the last tournament. And so it was like an even bigger weight on everyone's shoulder because right. it's like, okay, now we have things to prove and we have to really step up our game. This might be a silly question. Did you struggle at all with the ball change? Because I feel like that international ball is a different game. And I don't feel yeah. as confident passing it. I feel really confident passing the college ball, but that little yellow blue thing, mind of its own. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I did. And I don't know for for myself, at least, I don't know if it's a mental thing for me because I did have a hard time passing. I just felt like it moved a lot differently and just like the weight of the ball. And yeah, I think it was just maybe a mental thing for me because now it's like, oh, I love this ball and I love playing with it. And maybe obviously it's with time and practice. But that first year I did, I did struggle. And I think that's kind of why going into the next year, like of 2018, there was some, some question behind the libero position and with Karch. I mean, he was, he obviously needed to make a decision of who was going to be the starter of, of the libero position. So there were multiple people that kind of went in and out of that 
that position. And so, I mean, I for sure struggled and I think I just am so really, really happy with myself with just sticking with it. I think from the first year of the quad till now, I'm a completely different player. I'm a different person. And I, it, it's just like so rewarding to look back in 2017 to where I am now. All of the interchanging and the switching and the rotating of that libero position was, I mean, it was, it was there. And I think as viewers and fans, like we were all watching, it was like, I know in the beginning, you know, Amanda Benson was there. Mary Lake came in for a tournament. There was Kelsey was playing libero. Mm -hmm. Megan Courtney was playing libero. How did you mentally navigate that? Because obviously as that's happening, you know, the general consensus is, okay, they want to try people out because they don't feel like they have confidently found their girl yet and they're Mm -hmm. still figuring it out. So what were your thoughts like and how did you navigate that as you were being pulled from games and put in games and moved in lineups and moved on sides of the court. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was probably the toughest mental challenge that I've, that I've went through, that I've been through with the USA program. And a lot of it was myself, which is, I mean, very crazy to think about, but also cool to think about because I just had to go through it with myself and really just dig deep down and um, just figure out what I wanted. You know, did I want to continue playing with the national team? Did I want to continue playing volleyball? And so I think once I realized what I actually wanted as a goal of mine, that's when I was like, okay, I'm here to do this. I'm here to work and I'm here to grind. I mean, I spent two years in Anaheim in the American Sports Center just in the off season by myself and along with other people that maybe were rehabbing or injured or whatever it was just because I didn't get a chance to go overseas. And so that 2018 season when I was staying alone at home, I was just, you know, every day reminding myself, like, what is the bigger picture? What is the bigger goal? And I think that's what really made me get through it and helped me get through it is because I really wanted, you know, to get my spot back. And so I'm so, so happy, like in hindsight, that I went through all of that. And it's just, yeah, like I said, super rewarding. I mean, like, I want to hear the nitty gritty. Like, were we like holding back tears on the court? Were we anxious when the lineup was being read? Like, really, how did you get through that? Because I think anyone that's playing volleyball at a high level knows there's someone on the bench ready to come in. Like, that is what high-level volleyball is, is there is someone who wants your spot and they're recruiting someone who wants your spot and they're thinking ahead. Like, what was coming up for you? And did you ever experience, like, any anxiety related to your play So 2018 was when I had started that Volleyball Nations League tournament. And I we were playing Turkey, I believe. Turkey is notoriously known for like being a good serving team. And so that year before the national team started, I hadn't gotten overseas. So mentally, I'm just already like feeling unprepared because all of these girls had just come back from their club teams and just obviously had such like great playing experiences. So I didn't have anything to really like support and lean on. And so I felt already like unprepared in that sense. But as soon as we got on the court, I was like super, super nervous. And it was like a flashback to college, that Wisconsin match that I was talking about. 
And Turkey had come out like guns blazing, just serving so hard. And they were targeting me. And so I was pretty nervous. And that was also not a great match for me. And so that's when I was like, like starting to like freak out a little bit and asking. I remember Kelsey was playing and I was asking her for help a little bit. And I remember during a timeout, Karch had pulled me to the side and was like, hey, it's okay. Like, we're going to get through it. Just, you know, one angle at a time. And I feel like that kind of calmed me down a little bit. And just, I think that just kind of goes back to like, okay, let's, let's think of one task at a time and just try to narrow it down. Because like we said earlier, I think if we're trying to overthink too many things, then that's kind of when we like get a little bit locked up and, I don't know about you, but like when I'm when I'm playing my best, I'm like loose and free and I'm smiling and and I just felt like completely tense and just really, you know, scared out there. And so that was definitely one match where I was trying to look for my teammates for help, but I just felt like I was so internalizing everything that like nothing was going right for me that match. So yeah, looking back, that's like one match that was super hard mentally. Something else that's coming to mind as you tell that story is obviously the libero position. It comes with swag. Like it comes with, yo, you're literally wearing a different color jersey. Like you're the best passer. You're the best digger. Like it does come with this sense of you are supposed to be the best at defense. And you Mm -hmm. mentioned with Turkey, like they're smart. They're like, well, we know Kelsey Robinson. We know this other outside. Who are you? We don't care that you put you in this jersey. We're going to serve you until you prove us otherwise. So I know for me, I really struggle with dealing with the fact that like the jersey means this one thing. But sometimes depending on the team or who I'm playing, I might not be the best passer. I might be missing digs. My outside might be outplaying me. What was it like for you to be wearing that jersey and be in this role, but not feel like you were the best at it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like as a libero and maybe even like as outsiders looking in, like spectators looking into the sport, there is this stigma that, okay, the libero has to be passing perfect or they have to be getting all these digs and stuff like that. But in reality, we're just here to do what we can. And we're here to, I like to look at it as just like elevating other people and their play. And so, and Kelsey has taught me that and just made me kind of reminded me that that's what, when she plays her best and that's, you know, what we're here to do as teammates and, you know, just playing in a team sport, it's just elevating everyone's game around us. And so I wish I had, you know, realized that in that moment, in that match, I think that probably would have um, gotten gotten me out of my funk a little bit earlier. It's just, okay, you don't have to overdo everything and you don't have to be perfect in every single skill. It's just, okay, what can you do to eliminate some things here and there? And so, yeah, just over the years, I think that's definitely helped me in getting out of, you know, if I'm in a funk, getting out of that a little bit sooner and just like really taking a deep breath and and realizing you don't have to do it all in this one play. It sounds like you don't really care about what other people think and and you're really good at just focusing on your game and your goals. Would you say that that's the case that you don't care what people think? 
I would say now. I I I don't really, but I think probably 2018 Justine probably would have. Yeah, and that seems like one of the biggest switches for you was not caring or worrying about what the coach is thinking or your teammates or what they're saying online. I think that's also just like you can't control that because in reality, like, I mean, for for right now and like just, for example, the national team, like there are so many like different parts and different pieces, like when they go overseas and play with their different teams in Italy and Turkey and China, wherever it may be, like there are just going to be so many different and moving parts. And so I think I found comfort in just not trying not to compare myself with others and just really like sticking to my goals and and what I have for myself. Because I mean, when I was struggling and trying to earn my position back, I was having a hard time and comparing like stats with, you know, all the different liberos. And it's hard to really like try to compare yourself and still try to perform your best. Right. So in going through that, did you have to put in work, whether that was journaling, meditating, you know, working on your thoughts? Obviously, there's a big difference from 2018 Justine to this Justine. And if it was as simple as a realization, I mean, that's okay. That's great. But I could imagine it probably took some work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we had a sports psych that was working with us that I had a, a few conversations with. I mean, a lot of my family and friends just like leaning on them and their support. But also, I think just like writing down my goals and like starting to journal and just starting to write down. I'm just a very visual person. And so I think writing down goals for me was a huge help and just realizing like those are still attainable and reachable. And so I think the ultimate switch that really led me to where I am today is going overseas and getting that exposure and just really playing with the Mikasa ball and getting that live play of six on six. And so that and my first season overseas was in 2019. And I actually didn't even get much playing time over there. I was the second libero and that was fine. But I think just like the exposure and the live play that I did get in in practice was like a huge game changer just for my mental stability and just my confidence because I was getting those reps in practice and then I could transfer that over to when I got back into the national team gym was huge. Like I just I felt like I transformed not even my volleyball play, but just mentally like it was a huge transformation. Well, After all that, you did it. You earned the spot. You went on, I mean, obviously went on to win gold. It's like the picture perfect experience that you were probably dreaming of and setting those goals for. I want to know before we get to gold, what was the moment like when you found out you got the spot? Like you were going to be the libero. They were bringing you to Tokyo and you were going to be on Team USA. Like, I, I need the nitty gritty of like, did, did was it an email? Was it a phone call? Did you expect it to be you? Because I, I've heard stories of Karch being, you know, like the week or two before the lineup is announced. So there's not much notice, mm-hmm. but tell us everything. <laughs> yeah. So this year was obviously different because of COVID and everything getting pushed back. So the way it worked out was that we had a tournament in 
Rimini, Italy, the Volleyball Nations League tournament. And it was held in a bubble format and it was five weeks long. And we were basically just stuck in a hotel. And then we could obviously go to the arena for games and practices. Um, and then um, we were allowed to access the beach that it was a 10 minute walk. But other than that, we were pretty um, stuck in this bubble. So with that being said, we actually were in the hotel when we had found out the Olympic roster. And Karch had sent us a message asking if we would like to sign up to be in a, a, a face-to-face meeting or you were also uh, able to just get an email format and just wait until we basically had this window, a two-hour window of whoever wanted to meet. And then at 8.30, that's when he was going to announce the roster. And so if you didn't want to meet, you had to wait until 8.30 Tell me why I'm freaking out even though it's already happened. (laughs) (laughs) This is so intense. (laughs) I know. It was like so suspenseful. Like, um, so I, I was like, I just want to get it over with, whether it's a yes or a no. I just want to meet face to face. Before you even tell us, did you think that maybe like they're going to throw a curveball and bring Kelsey or Megan because they're more experienced and it like, did you like how were you thinking when you walked in, it was like a 50 50, like where was your head at honestly? Or were you like feeling pretty confident? Cause you just balled out at the VNL and they won. Right. I was feeling pretty confident. Karch had, had, played me a lot. And he also was having meetings with us throughout the whole tournament, kind of updating us of where we kind of laid on that, you know, totem pole. And just like, basically, I mean, he was just laying it out there and just kind of like giving us a very realistic answer of like what was going to happen down the road. Um, I think ultimately to prepare us in those matches in, in VNL, because after that, we didn't have any matches before Tokyo. So I was really confident. He had told me that, like, the way that you're playing, you have a really, really good shot at making the roster. So with that, I was very confident going into the meeting. But at the same time, I had no idea. You know, there's just so there's it, you never know. And so I was still a bit nervous. But when I had gone into the meeting, I think I was the third or fourth person to sign up. And it was just 10 minutes, uh, 10 minute slots. So it's supposed to be in and out. And so you you would get a text from Tama, our assistant coach. Hey, like come up to room 618. And I was thinking, okay, it's going to just be T- Tama and Karch. And then I go into, I knock and then I go into the room. It's literally the whole entire staff. And I'm like, oh, shoot, like didn't realize everyone was going to be here. And so um, that just even put like another layer of just like anxiousness and just intense. Um, And so we were all in this room. I think it was Jeff's room, actually. Is your heart like pounding and are you like about to shit your pants? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I'm like my (laughs) my hands are sweating right now. Um, And so I sat down and Kurt just like, hey, like, how are you? Blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, like, I'm fine. Get to the point. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so he he was, I think he kind of did like a little spiel for everyone. And so he was just basically saying like, you know, with the time you've been with us, it hasn't always been easy. And you've had some struggles. You've started for us. You've had, you've been cut, like all this stuff, like leading up to 
to now. Um, you've had so I think and then he was just like, you know, I think it was mainly just a question of yourself if you could do it and if you had that belief in yourself. And just like him like saying all those words and just like really, really letting those sink in, I think made me super emotional because it was so true. I mean, it was just a reflection of all those years and me staying home and being by myself in the gym and things like that. And so then after he had said that, he said, congratulations, you're going to be an Olympian. And I just started bawling. I was so emotional. I mean, obviously super excited, but just super like, wow, like just like a sense of relief because like I did it and I've I've overcome, you know, the obstacles and all of those things. And I just gave him a hug. I gave every single person on staff a hug. And it was it was a really special moment. And so but the thing was, like, since we were in that window, we couldn't say anything to any of our teammates because some of them hadn't gone. And so we were just and we were fortunate enough to have all of our rooms to be singles. So we were all by ourselves in our room. So I went back to my room and I I called my mom and I called my boyfriend and shared the news with them. But I also didn't want to be too loud because I'm like, what if they can hear me outside or next door? And so I was like trying to whisper, but also like couldn't contain my excitement. Oh my gosh. But yeah, and then at 830, he had sent that email. And I was just like, try there's like three paragraphs and I'm like trying to read through it without scrolling to the very bottom. But I'm like, <laughs> okay, I scrolled and then I saw my name and I was like, oh my gosh, that is crazy. Oh my God, that is such a yeah. cool story. I have like chills <laughs> from my body right now. Yeah, yeah, wow. it was very cool. Wow, dang, wait. So you would think if someone becomes an Olympian, you would just like, scream it from the mountaintops, skip down the halls of the hotel. But then there's like a few other girls that like their dream is broken. So did you feel like you had to contain all excitement and just keep that personal with your family? Yeah, it it was really, really tough. I mean, that was the first time it's ever been done like that, like while we're still playing in a tournament. And so we, I mean, we were treading on like uncharted, you know, territory. And so, and even, you know, even the, like Jordan Larson and Faluka who have been to three Olympics, they're like, that's never been done. So like, we don't really know what to do. But we also had a meeting with the girls beforehand, like, okay, the the roster is going to be announced tonight. What would people like to do? Like, you are more like, we're going to give everyone grace. Like, if you don't want to come to practice the next day, by all means, you don't have to. Like, everyone was super, like, I even after the roster was announced, we still were such a tight-knit group. Like, there was never a doubt that, like, there was any sort of resentment or animosity towards each other with, you know, making it over one another. And so I think, honestly, after that, I was like, we're going into the Olympics the tightest we've ever been. And so I had such a good feeling, like, going into Tokyo because— Our team was so close. Like, it was crazy. Like, we were just, like, so happy for each other that I— there was never a doubt that we weren't going to win the gold medal, honestly. Oh, my gosh. I love that. That is amazing. And then you go to Tokyo, and you guys absolutely dominate. And not even the team. You killed it. Like, you you were statistically, I think, the best serve-receiver out of everyone there. I mean— and it seems talk about you were like in the beginning, you're like, it's so easy for Kelsey Robinson. We're all on TV. Like Justine's like <laughs> passing. And she's like, yes. And is there something else? Like, 
Um, hi. Like, where's the competition? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I mean, what did it feel like any other tournament to you? I mean, you kind of have to approach it that way, I'm guessing, so that you don't get all up in your head. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Just just what you had said. I just approached it as as any other tournament. And I think honestly, like the first match, I was super nervous. I think Every match I was nervous for the first game and then until I kind of like got that adrenaline going and just really like just really focused on the game plan and like what we were supposed to be doing um, tactically, then I was like, okay, like nerves are gone. I'm just playing a game of volleyball like we're trying to win here. And I just really leaned on my teammates like we were all like super, super tight huddles eye contact with every single person like it was so, so like special. I just. Yeah, like I said, I just never had a doubt. Like we were, we wanted it so badly. And you could tell, like we we always do kind of like this gratitude circle before every match and say what we're grateful for and, you know, who we're fighting for or what we're fighting for. And every single time, like there would always be like some sort of tear shed or just some sort of emotional release. And I just felt like we were so connected as a group that like there was no team that was going to beat us because of that. Wow. You went around and you talked about what and who you were fighting for. Would you be comfortable sharing what some of your inspiration was? Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, there was a match where I was fighting for my family and just because they couldn't be there. And my family is just so supportive as is everyone else's, but there, uh, my mom is like a huge, huge volleyball fan and she knows the game of volleyball inside and out. I mean, she's been around it forever. She refs volleyball. She's just everything volleyball. So Dang, she refs uh, volleyball. She really knows it. <laughs> yeah, no, she does. And so I was fighting for them and just wishing that they could be there in the stands. But I just know that they were there with me in spirit and just really, really rooting for us. I mean, every every match she texts me before before the match, good luck. And then after the match, like, you know, good win or whatever it was. And so I just was fighting for them and their presence with me. I love that. So, so special. And then specifically, if we're talking about prep work, what did the team talk about before that gold medal match? Like before playing Brazil, did you guys try to treat it like any other game? I heard Karch read a special letter to you guys. I mean, was there anything notable about the prep or the team huddles or like any messages from the captains before that game started? Yeah, we had a game plan and we were like, the. I mean, of course the coaches are going to give us a scout sheet and we go through it. As a girls group, we would always take that scouting sheet and we would go over it before the match. And so we would say if we were going to, you know, confirm any any tactics or like, hey, like if this isn't working by the first set, like we're going to change it. Could you give some tangible examples? I feel like we have a lot of volleyball listeners probably who would love to hear maybe these specific things you can remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for example, we know like Gabi, number 10, the outside hitter, she was really good tipper in kind of like that 2-3 zone. So typically our outside hitters will go off the net like 10 by 10. And so they're like just kind of right off of me. But we were saying like, hey, if she tips like two or three times, we're going to have you guys play for tip and just designate 
the left side blocker as a defender for the tip. Just so that, because she was also a very high line seam attacker. And so we wanted right back to have that freedom to kind of stay back and not have to worry for tip. And so that was one thing that we were like, hey, this is what we're going to watch out for. And if that's causing a problem, like we're going to nip it in the butt and just make sure someone's there. And so I think that was like a really good job of us as a girls group, really taking an initiative and be like, okay, Maybe, I mean, the coaches also did a great job, but sometimes they're just so busy with different things that are flying around and the different things they have to worry about that us on the court, we're like, okay, we're going to make this change so that it doesn't keep happening. And, you know, if the coaches want to see something different and want us to do something different, then of course we're going to listen to them. But like, we did a really good job of just taking initiative and just Really, like if we saw something on on the court, we're not going to wait until, you know, they've beaten us five times to make a change. Got it. Okay. That scouting insight is fascinating, I'm sure, for many people to hear. And then in terms of the emotional preparation, what were those conversations like? Yeah, (laughs) I think every single person cried before the Brazil um, match. And I think it was just, I, I honestly wish there was like, a GoPro or like a microphone to really have filmed that because it was so special and just so raw for everyone to say what they were grateful for and just what we were fighting for. And everyone just had like, it was a time for us to be very vulnerable with each other. But at the same time, like we were freaking ready to go and like compete. And so I think that was just like so, so huge and just so empowering for all of us because we could let us like, you know, feel the nerves together, feel the anxiousness. Like we were all like obviously feeling a little bit nervous, but like we had addressed that and then we let that sink in in our circle. And then we once we went out there, we we're like, okay, it's go time. And then you freaking let loose and <laughs> swept. I mean, now the whole thing, like the puzzle pieces are coming together with that kind of unity. And I love yeah. the fact that you guys you just said you felt the anxiety together. You felt the vulnerability together. You felt the excitement. Like, I think that is so unique that a group of people are acknowledging this is what's coming up for all of us in different ways. We're going to give it the Mm -hmm. moment it deserves. And then we're going to walk out there and do our, do our job and get, take care of business as opposed Mm -hmm. to an environment where like one or four, three people feel like they're suppressing things and trying to act like a way they don't really feel. Right, right. That was huge. I mean, and throughout the whole tournament, that was the case. I mean, and I'm sure like if you asked Jordan or Feluca this, in past quads, they said like they had told us flat out like if we did this, like we would get kind of backlashed or it would just be kind of frowned upon. And so to to hear that, like I felt like we even just connected even deeper because we're like, okay, this is accepted. And this is what we just cultivated. I mean, we've worked so hard in the past two years to really build this culture of our team dynamics and just the team chemistry and everything that's off the court. I mean, we we um, hired a new uh, consultant coach, Sue Enquist, um, and she was in the softball world, but she had got Uh, She was actually one of our guest speakers when it was during COVID times. And so uh, Karch had knew her from UCLA ties. And so we just loved her energy and just like what she brought to the table and what she had learned. And so we 
um, had her come on board with us and she actually got to go to Tokyo. And so I think it was just a huge, huge testament to her and all of her work and all of our work combined with that. And so um, I was just super proud and like just to see like all of that being paid off and like, okay, this is what our culture is now with the national team. Gosh, that's special. I mean, it just sounds special to truly. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Is the gold <laughs> medal like within five feet of you at all times? I mean, I just. <laughs> it's right here. Oh my God. Wait, can I see it? Of I course. wish everyone listening could, could, could see. Oh, I'll put this I on. Know. I'll put this on the Instagram. Oh my God, it's blinding. It's so beautiful. <laughs> and that's like one of the most beautiful gold medals I've yeah. ever seen. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I love it. I love that. It's so, I mean, are you just in awe holding it every day? Yeah, it is. I mean, and it's kind of heavy. So there are like some girls wore their medals on the plane and just like throughout the whole Tokyo airport. And I was like, okay, this is hurting my neck. (laughs) Yeah, that's hilarious. I saw, um, I think it was Jordan Thompson was like new statement necklace. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) Literally never take it off. Like wear it with every mini dress, every outfit. I mean. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, so exciting. I'm. Have you just been kind of living in cloud nine? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like I've been, so we got back on Monday, last Monday, we had a celebration party Tuesday and then Wednesday I left um, to Texas with my boyfriend and his family. And I just got back yesterday. So I've been like on the move ever since we've been back. So now it's just like, okay. Soaking it in with my family a little bit longer before I have to head to uh, Germany. Ooh, for your next pro season? Yeah. I was going to ask. So what's next? We're going to keep competing, keep playing, keep chasing dreams. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely want to keep on going until Paris. I think the one thing like that I wish that everyone had the opportunity was like for everyone on the team is was for our families to be there. And so I think that like even motivates me even more. It's like, okay, hopefully in Paris, like all of my family will be able to be there and experience that. And so I really want to, uh, you know, obviously take one thing at a time, but that's definitely something in the back of my mind. Oh, that's, that's amazing. And that would be so cool for all of you to get to have that moment with your families and, keep, keep this vibe going. I mean, when you find a good thing and you can roll with it, I mean, it's, it's amazing. So congratulations. So cool. I cannot believe I just got to sit with you for an hour and pick your brain. Thanks for being so (laughs) go with the flow and diving into everything. Um, it's been great to hear your whole story and your journey. I think a lot of things people didn't really know about you. Just so grateful for you to take the time and kind of share your experience and everything that you've learned with everyone who tuned in. So, I mean, Justine, thank you. And now I'm like even a bigger fan. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Real Pod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of Real Pod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. 
to leave a rating or a review of the show. Head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week, seeing behind-the-scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real.